so we are activating the mission of kingdom humanity. That's what we, we, we want to do. And, um, and that's what we're going to be doing this today and in the month of, of Feb. We, you know, God has been, you know, speaking to us. God has been revealing this word of kingdom humanity over the years inside of our hearts. More than a decade now, we've been on a journey. And uh, we've, we've taught it. We've, we've looked at it. We've looked and looked again. Uh, you know, the word, the word says that a matter is established by two or three witnesses. You have to look at these things and, and you know, walk, you know, allow the Lord to take you on a journey. The, the path of the rushes is, is, is like light that keeps shining brighter and brighter by day. Um, and that's the journey that we have been on. And um, it's been a revelation that we've taught in this church, in churches, in regions, um, we've had some amazing meetings last year on kingdom humanity. And uh, beginning of this year, remember we ended 2022 with the thing about being stirred for 2023. Uh, that we wanted God to stir us, and I think he has. And beginning of this year, we thought, hey, there was a sense of uh, 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 changing gears, so to speak, in the spirit. And take this revelation and really convert it into a mission that you and I can live out and walk out and express and invite others on ramp other believers onto it. And the things of God grow like that, right? It's like when you see the picture, the story of Jesus calling the first disciples and how one disciple calls another, come and see the Messiah. Nathaniel is found sitting under a tree on a hot Deban day. And he's kind of depressed by what's, whatever is going on. And he's invited to come and see the Messiah and He's in a, a mental state, and he comes, and that changes his life. Remember, the Samaritan woman encounters Jesus, and she goes back to her village and invites others to come and encounter the same thing. And that's how the things of God flow. The church is not a, a romanticized uh, environment. It really flows on a Tuesday, on a Wednesday, in a hot January month of Devon, as you meet with a friend and talk to somebody about what God is doing. In the midst of being fatigued and dealing with challenges of life, you know, holding things together, the stewardship of God inside of your own heart, and inviting others and talking to others about come and see, come and encounter what I have encountered. Um, it, you know, people look at you and they have to feel the conviction inside of your own heart. And if they feel it, they say, hey, I want to come and see what you've encountered. You feel like you've encountered something. Basically, that's what happens. And that's how the things of God unfold and expand. So our purpose of gathering this, uh, you know, uh, today, this afternoon, and for the month of Feb, because we want to roll this out, really in the next couple of Sundays, uh, we're doing activation of kingdom humanity. Um, and that exactly is our purpose as we come together to look into and celebrate what God has placed inside of our heart over the years and, and, and as we take that and launch it into a mission inside of our own lives, a, a mission that we can actually execute in the midst of, you know, the affairs of life. So this is the process of activation uh, of the mission of kingdom humanity. I want to start us off. By the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 18. The words of Jesus, and this is a conversation 
and I'm peeking just on, you know, really on the climax, at the climax of that conversation. Uh, they are in a place that's surrounded by all sorts of things, and, and Jesus begins a conversation with the disciples about who do men say that I am. And there are different responses, a capture, a profiling of how people would have understood Jesus in those days. Some say, you are John the Baptist. Some say, you are Elijah. Uh, some say, you are Jeremiah. And then it turns the conversation to them. But who do you say that I am? And um, you can imagine probably a gap of silence. And the Spirit of God jumps upon Peter. And Peter says, you are Christ, the Son of the living God. And on the basis of the correctness of that answer, Jesus says, well, what you declare, Peter, has not come from your intelligence, from your IQ. God has revealed this in your mind and in your heart. And because God has put this revelation in your heart, I want to unveil my plans. Here's my plan. If we understand that I'm the Christ, the Son of the living God, my plan is to actually build my church. And the word church being the word ecclesia, a gathering of the called. And this Jesus... Um, is, has grown in an environment of synagogues. That's what he would have known since he was a young boy. He would have gone to the synagogue on a Sabbath. A synagogue was a gathering, like maybe how we would traditionally understand a church gathering, um, uh, where they gather to teach the word of God. They would have had the Bible for them would have been the law of Moses and the prophets, the law and the prophets. That's what Jesus is familiar with. But he shifts from that, almost like to reject what he knows. And he says, I will not build my synagogue. That's what he should have said. He says, I will build my church, my ecclesia. The ecclesia was a body of citizens that gathered under the summoning. There would have been a summoning, a summons, a calling together of these body, of these, of these citizens to come and discuss the affairs of the city. This this gathering, this concept comes from, at the time, the Greeks. And it is a Greek, you know, uh, Roman type arrangement. So Jesus almost like puts behind and he almost like rejects the synagogue um, type um, uh, uh, fellowship or gathering. And he borrows from the Greek or Roman world what was known as ecclesia, which really in today's term would have been a parliament of some kind, a, a board of citizens coming to discuss the affairs of the city. In other words, a body of people come together to administer their space, to, to, to bring administration, almost like a, a council in a city, like in a metro like Devon. Uh, that's what it would have been. And that's what Jesus basically adopts. And I think it would have, it would have shocked these guys, Peter and them, like, what are you talking about Ecclesia? We are not used to that. And so that's what we are. That's who we are. That's what Jesus has called us to be. We are the church, the Ecclesia, a people called into the gathering of purpose. In other words, if you want to bring it back to biblical understanding, um, um, a people called by God to administer the purpose of God within a given territory. That's what church is. A people who administer the advance of the kingdom of God within a, 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 a given territory like Durban, like South Africa. That's what church is. So Jesus says, I will build. And of course, the other key word there is the word build because 
you know, you know, it means it suggests the idea of progression, of intentional activity, of building towards a particular objective. When you're building, building is an objective-driven process. It's a goal-oriented activity. So Jesus says, I will build my church. And he says, the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So we are all riding on this energy of the Jesus who builds. Amen. The Jesus who what? Who builds. We are riding on that anointing. We are riding on that energy of the spirit of the Jesus that builds. Not the Jesus who will gather people for, for, for you know, without a defined you know, objective and meaning and purpose. And the church can be very guilty of doing things without clarifying purpose. Why do we gather? Why do we come together? Why do we do the things that we do? So Jesus says, I will build my church. And as I say, if you look back into the history of church, we certainly can see that Jesus has been building. Jesus has been building. You and I can plug ourselves into a particular um, season of the building of the church. And we can call ourselves whatever based on you know, what has been happening in our lifetime. But Jesus sees it all. And he has a, a panoramic view. He sees the end. And he sees church in her perfected state. I will build my church. And so we know that you and I were called before the beginning of time. And so when Jesus declares, I will build my church in Matthew 16, he's really tapping into the eternal purposes of God. Before time began, you and I were called by grace to be part of the company of the kingdom of God. How many of us know that? Before time began. That's when the story of church begins. Before time began. But we do see church being activated in Acts chapter 2 with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we know that without the Spirit of God, church finds it difficult to function. The Holy Spirit is important. So in Acts chapter 2, as we read, they were gathered, they were praying, they were together. It was all these beautiful things that they were doing. They were together, praying together, and the Spirit of God breaks out. They hear sounds, and there would sound, there would echoes. God, heaven begins to echo towards these people. There's sounds of heaven that breaks out in their hearts, and they break out in tongues in Acts chapter 2. And after that, as the apostles do their thing, going from city to city, from region to region, establishing church, church does go into the valley of what is generally known as the, the, the dark ages. And that's when church gets corrupted, um, you know, beyond imagination. And a spirit of Catholicism rises within the church. And tradition infiltrates the church. And church loses her doctrines. Church loses her truth. Church loses her mission in such a terrible way during the great, uh, great uh, um, the, 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 the dark ages, um, which would have began from around 500 AD to about 1500s. We have Catholicism riding upon the earth and killing and suffocating every life in the church. I think the only truth they held on to was the truth of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
Otherwise, they lost all of the beautiful things that we see in the book of Acts. And inside of that, there are these prophets, there are these monks, there are these priests that keep preaching, keep proclaiming that something is not right about the church. And some of them are killed, you know, men like uh, Huss and all these people that sacrifice for the restoration of foundations of the truth. Until a monk by the name of Martin Luther is activated by God in the 1500s with what is now commonly known as the um, 95 Theses. And in those days, it was common in those days to activate debates. And that's what basically Martin Luther sought to do. He wrote 95 reasons why church um, was wrong at the time. And he nailed them on the door of a church. And it was really, his thing was not to start a movement. His thing was to start a debate around, hey, something is wrong here. And out of that process in Germany, this is Martin Luther, not Martin Luther Jr. of the U.S., um, uh, but Martin Luther, the German monk. And out of that, a Protestant movement begins. It is called the Protestant because, because it rejected Catholicism and restored the truth of salvation, of faith in Jesus Christ, and of faith in God. And this is in the 1500s. In the 1700s, 1800s, the holiness movement is released by God, and its key truth is sanctification, to be separated from, uh, away from the world, and to be separated for God. That was the holiness movement. It was seeking to distinguish the church from the culture of the world. And this is really a broad scan of the history. Obviously, there are a lot of things in between that graphic that I'm talking about there. That's the holiness movement. And after that, the Pentecostal movement breaks out in the 1900s um, by a half-blind man, Seymour in the USA, and Azusa Street. Uh, we know that in history. And Basically, the, the Pentecostal movement restores the truth of Holy Spirit baptism back to the church. Back to the church. And people go there, they get baptized, some amazing things begin to happen. And in fact, some of the denominations that we know till today were formed out of that time. Very, very significant time. And soon after, you have the charismatic movement in the 60s, 1960s. Coming And the charismatic movement really takes the step further and says, hey, it's not enough for, for, uh, for, for the church to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but we also need the body gifts, the, body, the gifts of the Holy Spirit to be restored to the church. And that's, those gifts are found in 1 Corinthians 12. And out of the charismatic movement, we have saints stepping into ministry, flowing in gifts of healings and and words of knowledge, and God begins to use the body to function. The body, as you see in this story, the body is becoming more and more functional. Do you see that? The body is becoming more and more functional. In the 1980s, again, this is a broad scan. In the 1980s, you have the prophets coming to the scene and the restoration of the idea that God speaks to men. The idea of prophetic ministry, the, the, the restoration of the prophet as a fivefold minister, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. 
And, and all of these movements take place in church with great tension and issues as some obviously have rejected these things. And uh, after the 80s and 90s, the God restores and, you know, the apostolic ministry back to the church. And we begin to hear the sound of apostles. And soon after that, soon after the sound of apostles, you have apostolic reformation. Because apostles are builders by nature. And they begin to, you know, activate a process of building within the church, which reforms the structure of the church. And that's a beautiful narration of the history in a very, very broad scan, really, of what God has been doing. I think that the movement of the Lord is towards the body of Christ. It's towards the kingdom of God. That's, what, that's the direction of the Lord. He wants to really make the body of Jesus Christ more functional. There must be no limb, there must be no organ that does not work in the body. Yeah? You get the idea? So, this has taken God over 2,000 years. People have been activated, raised, and people have died inside of that journey. And God still builds. God still builds. So, inside of that church history timeline, we can see that our spiritual experience or our Christian experience can find a frame or can be plugged within a particular season. So we can call ourselves charismatics. We can call ourselves Pentecostals. We can call ourselves prophetic people based on the type of activity that has been taking place during our time. And, 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 and those moves of God or that, those restoration activities of God have brought to the church doctrine, church operations, ministries, denominations, ministry approaches, you know, uh, and, and a sense of identity for the body of Jesus Christ. But it's important, LSA, that our identity remains that of Christ. Not a movement, not a denomination, but what? Christ. Not an apostolic network, but Christ. Because Christ keeps reintroducing himself. And the problem is, once we become loyal to a denomination, once we become loyal to uh, a movement, we can actually lose Christ in the process. Because he keeps reintroducing himself to the body of Jesus Christ. We have to identify ourselves with Jesus because he is the one who is building and he is the reason behind all of these impartations. Whether we not call them movements or impartations or restoration, whatever, you know, actions of God, it's the same thing. Really, God has been building his church from the fall, the great fall of the dark ages, you know, to where we are. This is absolutely important. The objective of God inside of that process the objective of God, he has an objective. We serve a God who is driven by purpose, by mission, by objective. His objective is that in Ephesians 4 verse 12, that the saints must be equipped, that we have to come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We've become a perfect man. That's the analogy that Paul uses. Become a perfect man. And we have to come to what Paul calls the measure of, of the stature of the fullness of Christ.
That's Paul's way of saying, hey, the nature of Christ has a spectrum. And the church needs to fill that scope. Or church must be fully saturated into the fullness of who God is. There, has, there must be no aspect of God that is missing in the church. That's what basically Paul says. But Paul also outlines, I love the book of Ephesians, because it is a broad outline of the plan of God for the church. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, his intent, God's intent was that now through the church, now through the church, look at your neighbor and say through you. Now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. And that phrase made known meaning to be broadcasted to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm. So God is building towards a particular objective. He wants us to come to a place where we fill up the spectrum of the nature of Jesus Christ. He wants us to be a powerful body of redeemed people who can broadcast the things of God. And not just before people here on earth, but really the broadcast is towards the authorities in the heavenly realms, rulers and authorities. In other words, there is a warfare element. Each time we make a, take a step and make a stand and say, hey, we're building the church, we're actually declaring war against authorities and rulers in the heavenly realm. So this is a warfare issue. It's a warfare issue that you and I have to understand. It's not some, you know, nice, it would be nice to do this type process. This is a warfare issue that comes to us. God reveals things and then we build those things. We take those things forward. And that's important. Now, we spoke about the history and what God has been doing. Really, new impartations from God should do a couple of things to the church. Anything that we claim that is coming from God should achieve these four, I have four you know, issues or outcomes that we should see when God begins to move upon the church. When there's a new impartation, when there's a new revelation of Jesus, something needs to happen in the church. And when I say church, think of you, think of your family, think of your marriage, think of your children, think of, think of, yeah, think of yourself. When I say church, don't think of Sunday morning. Or Sunday afternoon in our case. When I say think, think of you, think of your life, the quality of your life, the, the reality of the Zoe of God, the life of God inside of you. The, the impartations that come from God and that have come from God over the years in history and that are coming from God even currently should achieve four outcomes in the church. Firstly, these impartations must remove stains, wrinkles, and blemishes in the church. They must remove stains, wrinkles, and blemishes in the church. The other way of saying that is they must remove stains, wrinkles, and blemishes in me. Say in me. Yeah. This presupposes that you and I have stains, have wrinkles, and have blemishes. These are the cultural elements of the world. And some of these things we don't even have the capacity to see, to comprehend. They, they, they transcend our intelligence. We need the Spirit of God to come and reveal them in our hearts. The word says we are conceived in sin. You know, We are conceived in sin. 
And so we have these stains according to the word of God. I can think that I'm perfect. I can think that I'm good. But God says, Robert, you have stains, wrinkles, and blemishes. The reason why Jesus has not come back to the, to the earth is because Robert still has stains, wrinkles, and blemishes. And God wants to remove them. It's Ephesians chapter 5, verse 27. Anything that comes from God that does not help the church remove stains, wrinkles, and blemishes has to be questioned, has to be scrutinized, has to be questioned. That's the first outcome of any impartation that comes from God. The second outcome of impartations coming from God is that these impartations must increase the measure of Christ in the church. They must increase the life of Jesus within the church. We just sang, you know, we sang that beautiful song, Saturate Us, God. Baptize us, soak us into your nature. So we want to see the increase of the life of Christ in the church. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 to 16. The life of Jesus Christ must increase within the church. Now, you will realize that there is no increasing of the life of Jesus as long as there are stains, wrinkles, and blemishes. Yeah, these things are competing or these realities are comp competing, competing. We either have the world or we have Christ, in other words. We either have the world or we have Christ. And so the more we are able to increase the measure, the life of Jesus within the church is the more we can push against the stains, wrinkles, and blemishes of the world. So that's the second thing. The third outcome of a new impartation that comes from God is that it must produce missional capacity in the church. It must activate people. Believers must be activated to be able to begin to live much more powerfully for God. To live much more powerfully for the kingdom of God. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we are called to be witnesses of Jesus Christ on earth. We are not just called to live through the, the Monday, the Tuesday, the Wednesday, the Thursday, and then come back to church and go back. We are actually called to be on a mission. And the mission, and we are launching the mission or activating the mission of kingdom humanity here. The mission does not necessarily mean that you and I get onto a plane and fly somewhere. The mission is to live for Jesus where you are. To proclaim him, to represent him through your life. That's the mission, first and foremost. If we can get every Christian on earth living for Jesus where they are, proclaiming him, representing him through their lives, the world will begin to see more and more of the light of God. Amen? If every believer can make a commitment that my Monday, my Tuesday, in my problems, in my situations, I am going to proclaim who Christ is and I'm going to represent him through my life. And the light, light of God will shine even brighter in the world. That's outcome number three, missional capacity. Outcome number four is that a new impartation from God must help church to finish the purposes of God. We actually have a mission. We have a, a, set, a set of things that God wants us to do. How many of us know 
in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 to 21, we are told there that heaven must hold Jesus back until the purposes of God are completed, fully accomplished on earth. Heaven must hold him back. So Jesus, in other words, is not able to come back as long as there is unfinished business here on earth. So each time you and I get a, a conviction in the Lord to launch into something, we're actually helping to facilitate the accomplishment of his purposes upon the earth. Or use the, 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 the language of Second Peter chapter 3, we speed up the coming of the Lord. We facilitate the coming of the Lord. So Jesus is not coming back anytime. Jesus is coming back on that time when the purposes of the Lord are completed on earth. And so you and I are crucial in that mission. That's why we've got to be faithful in this mission of kingdom of humanity because that's our portion in the Lord. That's what he's given us. You know, if we can build this and establish this, you know, on earth, then we are contributing to the purposes of God being fulfilled. So those are the four outcomes of any impartation that comes from God. So kingdom humanity has to achieve this for us. The removal of stains, wrinkles, and blemishes in the church. The increasing of the measure of the life of Jesus in the church. The, the, the new missional capacity coming upon the church and helping the church, helping the church to finish the purposes of God. Next, chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. Everybody got that? Everybody tracking that? These are the outcomes. So if we say there's something that God is doing, we should be asking, is it achieving these four outcomes for us? Is it helping us to remove the stains, the wrinkles, and the blemishes? If the church remains worldly in the midst of what's supposed to be impartations from God, then we've got to go back to the drawing board. We've got to go back and hear again. New impartation from God must increase the measure, the measure of the life of Christ in the church. We have to feel that the nature of Christ is gaining more space in my life. It must produce missional capacity. People, more believers, who will say, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to proclaim him in the midst of the earth. And I'm going to live for him. I'm going to represent him through my life. Number four, new impartations from God should help us to actually finish what we have been given as an assignment of the kingdom. We actually must finish it. We can't just live forever. The growth of the church also has to be understood and interpreted through what we can call new covenant signs. Remember, we are a new covenant people, right? We're not the people of the law. We're not the people of the old tabernacle. We are new covenant people. And if church is growing, these are the signs that you have to be seeing in that growth process. In the new covenant, new covenant em emphasis number one is that there has to be access to God. Right? When Jesus dies, when Jesus dies, the curtain is torn, implying access. So the more church grows, is the more there has to be access to God, both in terms of believers, but also in terms of the world out there. So whatever that we build and however that we build has to facilitate access. We cannot 
become enclosed as we grow. Yeah? We have to be like a city with open gates. It has to be free movement and access into the church. Facilitate access to God because the curtain has been torn. As the first new covenant sign, the second new covenant sign is that the life of God must be internalized more church grows. You've got to feel that in the heart of the people, the conviction of God is growing. I will write my laws in their hearts. This can't, you know, we can't just remain in a reality where things are sermons. They, has to, they have to be internalized. They have to be owned within our own hearts. They have to become one with us. I will write my laws in their hearts, no longer upon the tablets of stones. So the most powerful thing about a church is not what the pastor preached last Sunday. The most powerful thing about a church is about the conviction that resides in the hearts of the people. Do the people reflect a powerful conviction in the midst of their lives? Now the mistake we keep making is we measure the, you know, how powerful our church is based on the Sunday morning gathering. And yes, the Sunday morning gathering is important. But actually, the thing that we have, to, we have to measure is the conviction of God in the hearts of the people. I will write my laws in their hearts. That's the second new covenant sign. The third new covenant sign is that the temple is no longer a structure. The temple is the people. We incarnate the life of God. To what extent are people incarnating the life of Jesus or to what extent are people becoming the incarnation, the representation? Uh, to what extent are the people, you know, giving birth to the nature of Christ through their lives? That word incarnation, to incarnate, is to take that which cannot be seen by naked eyes, by physical eyes, and make it a human reality through your life. The temple is no longer this auditorium, in other words. So when we say, how is LSA, we're not talking about a physical structure. We're talking about the people. We're talking about people navigating through life and situations and all of those sort of things. Human, humanizing or incarnating the life of God is the third new covenant sign. The fourth new covenant sign is that the things of God must be decentralized. The life of God must be decentralized the more church grows. Why we say that? Because the Bible teaches about the priesthood of all believers, right? Which is a thing that the German monk, that German monk, Martin Luther, began, uh, you, know, you know, preaching. The priesthood of all believers. Decentralize the life of God. It cannot be centered around a few people or the ministers of the gospel. It's got to be decentralized. So is anything that is coming from God helping us to decentralize, decentralize the life of God. And lastly, number five, the new covenant sign is the activation of supernatural life through the Holy Spirit, right? Uh-huh. We promise the Holy Spirit that we, shall, we will be baptized in the Holy Spirit and will do things that we could not do before. These are new covenant signs. Facilitate access to God. Internalize the life of God. Incarnate Jesus Christ decentralize the life of God. It can't depend on Sunday. 
It can't depend on a few ministers of the gospel. It can't depend on a few prophets or few apostles. It, it's got to be decentralized and activate supernatural life. The, the power of the Holy Spirit must be released upon the people. Everybody got that? So, we talk about new impartations from God must give us these four outcomes. And then we're talking about the fact that there are signs of the new covenant that we have to be seeing more and more as church progresses and as church grows. Everybody got that? Yeah? So kingdom humanity is one such impartation that comes from God for the church to empower her, to activate her, to increase the measure of Christ within her life. That's what kingdom humanity is. What is kingdom humanity? Kingdom humanity is a conviction we hold in our heart that God is at this point in time adorning the church with the humanity of Christ. Kingdom humanity is the prophetic conviction. We know this by revelation. It is a prophetic conviction that God is at this time adorning the church with the humanity of Christ. And the word adorn is, is a beautiful word. We're going to look into it right now. It's like God is adorning us with the humanity of Christ. Now, when I say that, you have to be thinking already about Ephesians 5, 27. Um, the wrinkles, the stains, and the blemishes. The increasing of the measure of the life of Jesus. All of those four signs I gave you that are the, your, your, your greed, your framework of, of discerning whether something is coming from God or not. Kingdom humanity is the prophetic conviction that God is adorning the church with the humanity of Christ. We can personalize that, LSA, and say kingdom humanity is the prophetic conviction that God is adorning me with the humanity of Christ. He is adorning me with the humanity of Christ. Basically, that's what kingdom humanity is. It is a conviction we carry in our heart. That conviction has been placed by God, by the Spirit of God, that God is adorning the church with the humanity of Christ. Think of a picture of a bride getting ready for the wedding mm -hmm. and having to put on the gown and, and, and makeup. And, and it's that kind of season. It's that kind of beautiful, beautiful season where the bride is getting ready for the wedding. And has to put on the gown, has to put makeup and, and, and make herself beautiful in preparation for meeting the groom. So kingdom humanity is a prophetic conviction that God is adorning the church with the humanity of Christ. There are two fundamental scriptures that we use. Was everything that we declare has to have and must be anchored in some scripture. It needs to take us back to the word of the Lord, right? Scripture is, is our safety, is our, is our safety net. Is a, scripture is our guide. Revelation chapter 21 verse 2 is our first scripture here. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 2. This is John. He is the one who writes the book or sees the vision. He is blind. He is being persecuted. He is in the island of Patmos. He has been put, he has been put on, into boiling uh, oil. He's, so many things have been done to him to try and kill him. And as a last result, he's kept 
in this island of Patmos. And inside of that island, he's blind, he can't see physically. And he begins to see the vision of Jesus Christ. As we see the book of Revelation chapter 1, right up to chapter 22. There are 22 chapters in that book. In chapter 21, we pick on the revelation, the image, the vision of John in chapter 21. John would have been one of the 12 disciples, was the youngest disciple, the disciple that Jesus loved the most out of all of them. You know, he, 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 Jesus was fond of this guy in a particular way. And, and he outlived all apostles. And, and he's in the island of Patmos and he sees a vision. And the vision is narrated for us, which is a vision really in chapter, two, chapter 1, it is a vision of Jesus Christ. It begins by saying the revelation of Jesus Christ that John saw, the revelation of Jesus. So almost as though the Spirit of God wants us to be preoccupied, not with the beast and the antichrist in the book of Revelation, he wants us to see Jesus. Amen? Yeah? The, the revelation of Jesus Christ that was released or given to John, the apostle. And so we are taken through the chapters in the book of Revelation. It's a revelation of Jesus. We have to be seeing Jesus in the book of Revelation and not the Antichrist. And yes, there are images and all those beasts and monsters that were shown about. And yes, you know, the dragon, the devil, all those things. But actually, at the core of the motivation of God for giving us the book of Revelation is to give us the revelation of Jesus Christ. In chapter 21, verse 2, then I, John, and of course, in seeing the revelation of Jesus, we also see equally the revelation of the church. We see ourselves in the, pro in the process. Then I, John, saw the holy city, it says in, in chapter 21, verse 2. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband. We're reading that from the New King James Version. That word adorned is the word that means to put in proper order. It means orderly arrangement. It means to decorate. It means to beautify. So basically, John is seeing a vision of God beautifying, putting arrangements upon the church. Cosmeo, from which we get the English word cosmetics. God is putting a makeup upon the church. He is making her beautiful for Jesus. To put in proper order, to uh, orderly arrangement, to decorate and to make beautiful. That's the first scripture that we see and that we use and that the, the Lord has placed upon our hearts. The adorning, the beautification of the church of Jesus Christ is what we see here. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 2. And then the second scripture that we use, and I'm really going to use inside of this context, two, two scriptures. The second scripture that we use is Ephesians 4 verses 22 to 24. Paul, again, that book that I, I love, the book of, uh, the book of you know, to the Ephesian church. Paul is outlining God's plans and God's processes. In verse 22 in chapter 4, Ephesians you are taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, 
to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And Paul uses the phrase old self and that word self being the word anthropos. Really, the more uh, a good translation of that phrase would be the phrase, English phrase, new humanity, old humanity versus new humanity. The word self is the word anthropos, which is a word human being, a word humanity. So Paul is saying, you are taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old humanity. To put off the old nature of yourself, of your human being, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new humanity, the new anthropos. So Paul's idea of salvation is that salvation is not just a cessation of acts of sins or when we stop sinning. Salvation is also about a formation of the newness of God on the inside of, my, of me. The nature of God has been formed. So that word self, very powerful word, human being, your old humanity and your new humanity. And so you and I are in the process in between these realities. The old humanity and the new humanity. The movement, our movement from the old humanity to the new humanity is dependent on our obedience. It's dependent on the process of transformation. It's dependent on whether when God convicts your heart about issues, whether you act on them or not. It's possible to be saved and to stop the process right there at the entrance um, door of, of the kingdom of God. But actually, salvation is not just a cessation of, it's not a stopping of bad things that I used to do. Salvation is also a formation of a new humanity in my heart. But that process requires me to facilitate it through obedience, through transformation. So the most precious thing that happens to you and I is when God convicts you. So we can say, the other, the other way of saying that is that God is still creating us. And how is he creating us? Through the process of conviction and obedience. Yeah? God is creating you and I. And how is he creating you and I? Through the process of conviction and obedience. So you and I need to keep ourselves in the cycle of conviction and obedience. And the more you do that, is the more there's progression and movement to the new humanity. But if God convicts and I don't act on that conviction, then I equally frustrate the process of moving to the new humanity. Amen? The old self and the new self. And a Christian church can be caught up in, I have stopped the bad things, but I'm still caught up in the old self. Yeah? And, and so Paul outlines the frustration that happens with that. You know, I am trying, Romans chapter 7, I'm trying to do good things, but I can't, yeah? That's the reality of law. I know the thing that God requires, but I can't perform it. It's because I am skipping a process. I'm trying to perform it without firstly transforming in my heart. 
And so I need to be convicted by God and allow that conviction to facilitate transformation. And when transformation takes place, then I get formed anew in God. I become God's new humanity. And so Revelation 21 verse 2, Ephesians 4 verses 22 to 24 means that if we describe, you know, we can describe kingdom humanity as the anointing that is coming from heaven and that is releasing the nature of Christ in human form in the church. God is coming to, to, to refine the humanity of, of the church. You know, remember, church is actually a bunch of human beings. How many of us know that? Human beings with issues. And God has to refine these human beings. Because why must this happen? Because the world does not look at the church service. The world looks at you and I. Looks at the construct of our human life. Inside of Kingdom Humanity Revelation, we understand Christ According to John chapter 1 verse 14, he is the word in the flesh. So Christ is the joining of two realities. He is the word in the flesh. Christ is the image of God, meaning he reveals God to us. But Christ is also the image of man, meaning he reveals us in God. How many of us want to see yourself in God? Yeah. You want to see your true nature in God. Christ is spirituality expressing itself in humanity. He reveals God to us, the nature of God, divinity, but he reveals us in God all at the same time. So there's that dualistic process, dynamic, that is taking place in the nature of Christ. When we look at Christ, we see God, but when we look at Christ, we see ourselves in God all at the same time. So we see divinity but we also see humanity in Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. Amen. He reveals God to us, but he reveals us in God. And I think that where church has been, we have seen a lot of the image of God, right? Through Christ. But in this season, God wants to show us our image in God. And so that fulfills the creation act of God. Let us make men in our image, in our likeness. There has to be harmony between who God is and the image of man. What defines who I am as a man? As a man living in 2023 in South Africa. When I look at Christ, I see the image of God. But when I look at Christ, I also see my image. I see myself in God. The other way of saying that is 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, as I behold him, yeah? I, 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 as I behold him, I am transformed into. Because that, that word behold means to stand in front of the mirror. You know, like you stood in front of the mirror to, this, this morning, hopefully. And you checked yourself. Yeah. But the physical mirror shows you who you are. The spiritual mirror that is Christ, when you stand in front of him, he shows you who you should be. So you begin to see the distinction between where you are and where you should be. As you stand in front of the mirror that is Christ, 2 Corinthians 3.18, you get transformed when you see him. 
And that's a beautiful thing that we see inside of these realities. So kingdom humanity mission activation. So we define kingdom humanity as basically um, uh, a prophetic conviction we carry in our hearts that God is adorning church with the humanity of Christ. And that revelation is leading us to a mission. And the mission of king kingdom humanity is really found or anchored in three principles of how we need to live out the Christian faith on earth. Three realities, three principles. And those three principles are devotion, personal humanity, and citizenship. Devotion, personal humanity, and citizenship. Those are the three uh, anchor points. Those are the three pillars that we want to activate and that we're going to be activating the next couple of Sundays inside of our hearts, inside of this month of February. Um, uh, these things activate the realities of kingdom humanity on the inside of us. Devotion, personal humanity, and citizenship. That's what God has been showing us. This, in a sense, is a framework of faith for us, but also it reflects our discipleship in Christ. If I'm a disciple of Christ, that needs to reflect through my devotion, needs to reflect through my personal humanity, it needs to reflect through my citizenship. And we're going to explain a little bit what we mean by that. Firstly, what I want to do is, and, and this is the last section of this teaching, is, uh, you know, as we look at the framework of kingdom humanity. We have seen that kingdom humanity is, the, is God adorning church with the humanity of Christ. But that needs to be executed by you and I, right? On earth. It needs to become a reality. The word must become flesh. And these three pillars is what helps us to activate the mission of kingdom humanity. Devotion, personal humanity, and citizenship. Now, devotion will be clear to all of us. We need to be given, giving our hearts to God. We need to live as priests unto God. How about personal humanity? I just want to read scriptures around these things so that it's clear we're not just trying to create some fancy words here. So we read the scripture in Ephesians 2, I mean Ephesians 4. Uh, I'm just going to read verse 24 this time around. And to put on the new self, to put on the new humanity created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's a requirement in scripture that you and I put on the new humanity, right? That you and I can incarnate Jesus through our character, through our lives. But also, there's Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, the life I live where? The life I live where? I live by faith, not by rationality. Not by the surrounding culture. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The life I live where? In the body, I live by faith and not by the surrounding culture, not by rationality, by faith. In other words, it's not a culture. Paul is saying culture of the times does not have the power to tell me how to be human. My humanity is received from Christ Jesus through the cycle of conviction and transformation. That's what he's saying. He's basically saying, I am the incarnation of Christ. 
In other words, when you see me, I give Christ, the phrase we use, I give Christ a, a demographic profile. Yeah? You may see me as a, a black man, a black woman, an Indian woman, but actually, the, the thing that I am is Christ. The nature, the character of my life reflects the value system of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are some of the scriptures around personal humanity. I have been crucified with Christ. The question is, have I been crucified? Mm -hmm. Have I died? I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I am the incarnation of Jesus. I represent him in human form. When you look at me, you're seeing a reflection of who Christ is. Otherwise, I have a, a, a personality, a character that has been uh, formed over time by the process of conviction and transformation. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. The question is, do I live in the body by faith? That's the question we need to be asking ourselves. Or I am on autopilot based on the culture that surrounds me. You know, you can be on autopilot, right? You just be based on what is out there. Romans 12 verse 2, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. And I was, don't be on autopilot based on the drivers of the culture of the day. Don't be influenced by, by the world, but rather engage the internal, intentional process of conviction and transformation. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. I am I'm a, I'm a construct of Jesus. Scriptures on citizenship. Again, we're just reading these scriptures. As a show, we're not trying to be used like, you know, progressive language. This is actually Bible. This is the Bible. This is scripture. Ephesians 2 verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners, foreigners and aliens, but fellow, fellow, see, so the word of God calls you a citizen. Fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Ephesians 2 verse 19. In Philippians 3 verse 20, but our, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. If Philippians chapter 3 verse 20. Philippians chapter 1 verse 27. Above all, you must live as, live as citizens of heaven. And you can put in bracket, live here on earth, not in heaven, right? You here. The next time you check yourself, you're in Devon and it's 2023, right? You must live in Devon as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Your citizenship has to reflect the gospel. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing side by side. Standing, fighting, fighting together, not one another. Fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. You must live as citizens of heaven. So, we've just confronted the reality that the Bible re re us, recognizes us as, as human beings, the life I live in the body, but also the Bible recognizes us as citizens. We exist in spaces of life. The word citizen means 
one who inhabits a space of life, basically. So the Bible recognizes us as such. And we're confronted by that reality in the word of God. And that's a powerful thing. It's like, that's powerful, God. That is amazing. God sees us, in other words, as, 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 as people with three expressions. Devotion, personal humanity, because I live in the body. Citizenship, because I exist in a space of life. And so... Kingdom humanity says that you need to live more powerfully as a priest of God, offering your heart to Jesus all every day, right? Loving the Lord with all of your heart. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. More and more, we're going to have to do that much more powerfully as darkness enters the earth, right? You and I have to do like what we've just done, worshiping God, lifting up our hands, do that back home in our bedrooms, lift up our hands, and through the cause of life, live a life of devotion, of honoring God within your own heart, of pondering at the Lord, right? Because this, God sees you as such, as a devotional being, but he also sees you as a human being, which requires you and I to engage a process of personal transformation in Christ Jesus. The life I live where? In the body I live by faith in the Son of God. My humanity is not autopiloted by the culture of the day. It is being formed through faith, through conviction, through transformation. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Galatians 2 verse 20. But the scripture also sees you as a being, a human being who exists in a space of life. And so, therefore, you and I are called to transform these spaces for the kingdom of God. In Acts 17, verse 26, we're created to inhabit spaces, right? God created us as, as inhabitants of spaces of life. So, you and I must live as citizens of heaven, honoring the Lord through the way that we inhabit the spaces of life. These are spaces of family. That's where it all begins, yeah? You have to conquer the space of family. How many of us know that if you can't conquer the space of family, you can't conquer the world? The world will tell you to ignore the space of family and try and, and conquer other spaces out there. But actually, it begins really by conquering the space of family. If you can learn to coexist inside of a family unit, then you can export those principles to other spaces. You take them with you to a space called school, right? You take this principle to a space called the workplace. Wherever you go, we are inhabiting, you are inhabiting and are facilitating transformation of spaces of life. Remember the first man that God ever created? He had a space himself, right? And that space was called the Garden of Eden. And he had to live within that space according to the principles of God. It is not based on the ideas of the world, LSA. Not the ideologies of the world. Not the opinions of your mind. But really, the principles of God. God told him how to live, what to touch, what not to touch. How to be within that space. And of course, he messed it up. So we are priests. We are human. We are, inha we are inhabitants. 
Let's say that together. Say, I'm a priest. I'm a human being. I'm an inhabitant. Now, these are the things that kingdom humanity, the revelation of kingdom humanity wants to impart into our hearts. I'm a priest. I'm a human being. And I am an inhabitant in spaces of life. And so when we look at the act of creation, God did create you and I as, as spirit, right? You are human spirit. But God gave you a body. The mystery of the body is that it gives you and I a, 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 a manifestation. You need to have a character. You know, that's the mystery of the body. You need to have a personality. You know, people have to interact with you. Yeah, God gave you a body, but God placed you within a space of life. It was the Garden of Eden. And he told you how to interact with that space. But equally, Scripture speaks to us as a priest. Because Scripture oftentimes constantly confronts us about who do we worship, right? Confronts issues of idolatry within our hearts. Who do we worship? But scripture also addresses us as human beings. Who is the image of my life? Living holy lives and, and pursuing righteousness. And then scripture also speaks to you as an inhabitant of a space of life. How do you exist? What does the scripture say? Love your neighbor as your. It presupposes that you find yourself within the context of a space of life coexisting with other human beings. It does not matter how much you can worship God on Sunday. If you can't coexist with those human beings, then you're done. Yeah? Yes? It really doesn't matter your revelation. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter, you know, how you worship God. If you can't coexist with fellow human beings, then basic law of the kingdom is love your neighbor as you love yourself. It comes down to that. And that's the law of citizenship. It's a law of kingdom citizenship. But the world, saints, also wants to defile your soul. It wants to corrupt your character. And it wants to define your existence. It wants to tell you how to be a human being and how to inhabit spaces of life. It tells you by giving you ideas and ideologies and all sorts of things. Christ has come into your life to be Lord of, of your heart. Yeah? Because you are a priest to be the image of your life and to be the wisdom for your existence. Everybody got that? That's a basic frame of what we are saying inside of kingdom humanity. Priest, human, inhabitant. inhabitant. Let's say that again. I'm a priest. I'm a human being. I'm an inhabitant of spaces of life. That's what you want to always remember in your execution of Christ upon the earth. Absolutely, absolutely important. You are a priest, you are a human being, and you are the inhabitant. And your witnessing has to reflect those realities. How many of us know that we can be powerful, you know, we can, we can, we can find ourselves in powerful moments of worship, but be horrible human beings? How many of us know that we can be powerful in worship, be great human beings, but be terrible in, how, in our spaces of life? 
and ignore a bunch of things. Case in point, Lot. Remember the guy called Lot? Great guy is actually defined in the word of God as a righteous man. But look at Sodom and Gomorrah. When look at the man, look at the space of life that is inhabiting, there is conflict, there is inconsistency. The immorality within the city does not reflect the righteousness that is upon that man. That's what we are dealing with here. So it really doesn't matter our revelations and the things we do and the doctrines and da, 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 da. If we remain horrible human beings or if we remain ineffective inhabitants in spaces of life, we still do injustice to the kingdom of God. Amen? As a basic structure of kingdom humanity. Basic structure of kingdom humanity. So if we go back to the four outcomes of anything that comes from God, any new thing that comes from God that needs to deliver. And using now kingdom humanity or testing kingdom humanity against those outcomes. We can look at the first outcome, influence of the world. And inside of kingdom humanity, what we are saying is Christ is the image of your humanity. Right? Let's say that together. Christ is the image of my humanity. The second outcome is increased measure of Christ. And so, inside of kingdom humanity, we are building a believer who is not just de uh, limited to devotional Christian life, but who can take Christ into spheres of personal humanity and of citizenship also. And so, in doing so, we are increasing the measure of the life of Christ in the church. The next test is the one, is, is a test of capacity, missional capacity. Uh, we're building inside of kingdom humanity a comprehensive and a coherent witness to the world. And that witness is one of devotion, personal humanity, and citizenship. The fourth outcome or test is one of finishing the purposes of God. Oh yeah, we thank God inside of kingdom humanity. Or this revelation of kingdom humanity empowers us to step into territories of faith that we could not step into before. Before, we were not thinking of ourselves as inhabitants in Christ. And therefore, with the call to transform spaces of life for Jesus. And so, being sent by God into new territories of faith that church has not stepped into before doesn't matter what kind of network or movement or denom denomination that we are a part of. Church, that's a new territory for church. So this is an equalizing reality for the church and for the body of Christ inside of this time. We're increasing the measure of Christ. We are establishing Christ as the image of huma humanity in the church. We're increasing the measure of Christ in the church. Increasing missional capacity. And we are helping, or God is empowering the church to finish purpose. Everybody got that? Yeah? So let's seal this up with some practical issues, and then we are done. Are you, everybody following that? Okay, that's very clear. It's very clear what God is saying to us. Kingdom humanity. God is adorning the church with the humanity of Christ, some resources and practical issues, um, uh, resources and practical issues. Well, firstly, we have the booklet, right? 
And everybody can see that table. We have the booklets there. Uh, those are hard copies. That's great. Uh, they are available at Teddy Rands. You can get that and go and read about this revelation. Go and read about this doctrine. But we also have digital copies uh, through our blog or website and uh, on through the platform called Scribit. And, and those are the uh, links or websites, or links rather, that you can uh, follow there. Um, and we are making these available. And let's make these available far and wide. Yeah? How? Far and wide. Because how many of us know that people need to hear this? You don't want to privatize this. This must be the position of the church. People need to hear this. So hard copies are being made available, but also digital copies are available through those links. And you can follow them. Uh, that's the first thing that we'll refer you to. We have the reference poster, just a one-pager, something you can hold in your phone, in your smartphone, and that reminds you that you are a priest, a human, and an inhabitant, yeah? And that you're called by God to internalize Christ, to personify Christ, and to use Christ as wisdom for inhabiting spaces of life. So, and you can, you can take this poster and uh, use it, obviously, for yourself, for your own uh, um, uh, uh, meditation and study, but also as an outreach tool for your friends, cousins, whoever that you want to supply this to. So these are, this is a digital poster that we have there. As you can see it, it's just a one-pager that tries to summarize all that we are dealing with inside of this, inside of this uh, process of kingdom humanity. Everybody got that? So firstly, it's the booklet. Secondly, it is the poster um, that, that, that we're making available. And then thirdly, it's the connectivity form. I want to encourage us all, including LSA people, to submit, fill the form and submit it. Must do what? Fill the form and submit it. The link is available. Uh, if you go to the, uh, 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 the booklet online, you can see the link there. But we will also make the link available uh, and distribute it via, 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 uh, 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 via WhatsApp and stuff like that. Uh, this is the way to unramp people really into this process. Absolutely important. And so the form asks you just basic questions like who you are and da-da-da-da-da. Are you saved, not saved? Some, some people are going to love kingdom humanity, but they actually need Jesus first. So they actually ask you those questions and, and, uh, and, uh, and they can fill, fill the form. Um, I, I spotted Courtney's form. Courtney has done her form, guys. Come on. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Courtney has done her form. It's called fill in her form. Beautiful. And then we have reflection questions inside of the booklet. They're also on the of his digital book. And these are reflection questions. Again, from time to time, sit back and ask yourself a bunch of questions based on issues of devotion, personal humanity, and citizenship. You can ask yourself some questions uh, about how you're doing. It's just a way to help you and I um, uh, uh, assess ourselves. How many of us know that the scripture says, if you judge yourself, then you won't have to be judged by the Lord? That word judge means self-evaluation, to evaluate yourself. In other words, what basically saying is that if you judge yourself now, 
when you appear before the judgment seat of Christ, you'd have covered all you know, important issues inside of your life. You don't have to be judged by the Lord if you judge yourself. So let's, let's, let's engage in the habit of self-evaluation in Christ. And use the Holy Spirit to bear witness inside of our own hearts about how we're doing. Let's not be scared of evaluation. How many of us, how many of us know that evaluation can be scary? It's like, you know, at work, if you have to call for performance appraisal or, 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 or if your friends, I need to give you some feedback about some stuff or, or your spouse. It's like we, we humans don't, we get scared. But actually, it's better. If we judge ourselves now, we won't have to be judged by the Lord. So evaluation is a good thing, spiritually. And inside of this process, part of the practicalities inside of these processes will create spaces for reflection, testimony, and impartation. I want to be able to call people back into a space of, hey, how are we doing inside of devotion? How are we doing inside of personal humanity? How are we doing as inhabitants of the earth? of spaces of life. And we can create spaces where some people share testimonies of how they have done to, to encourage us in the journey. And of course, impartation remains important to teach and equip in these things like we're doing today. Uh, and so the cycle of engagement basically will be those three um, uh, 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 activities, reflection, testimony, and impartation. So action points for us. Because if we look into these things, there must be action points, right? Otherwise, it was just a great sermon. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 2, write the vision and make it plain on tables, tablets, sorry, not tables, tablets. So that why? That he may run who reads it. Activation, that he may run who reads it. First Corinthians 14 verse 8. For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So the, the purpose of sending or sounding a trumpet is so that we can prepare. So let's look into some action points that you can step into immediately after this meeting. Action points. Well, what do you want to do after this meeting? Live for the Lord according to kingdom humanity framework of devotion, personal humanity, and citizenship, right? Uh-huh. So I want to live for the Lord according to this framework of devotion of personal humanity and citizenship. It really means I want to, I want to see how my faith is, 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 is transforming me as, as a priest unto God, as a human being, and as an inhabitant of spaces of life. I Every one of us is going back to a space after this meeting. That's your family. Yeah? And if God has to evaluate you and has to ask you, how is that space doing? And, or what are you doing to transform that space for God? Are you doing the Lord thing of ignoring immorality and unrighteousness? Yeah? Or are you actively building within the space? Can you see that you can actually stay? Straight from this meeting, go and action out things. So the first thing that you and I, we're going to wake up and go to some space. Some of us are going to go to tomorrow, uh, to a space of work, right? There's some hostile things there. There's some snakes speaking there. There's all sorts of things. Some of us are going to a space called school. What are you doing about that? How are you living for the Lord within those spaces of life? 
So live for the Lord according to this framework of devotion, personal humanity, and citizenship. Witness about Christ to the world in word and in action. Again, using devotion, personal humanity, and citizenship. Participate in the cycle of engagement. Uh, you know, we're going to activate these cycles and these spaces of reflection, of testimony, and of impartation. Engage in the outreach process. Talk to somebody about Jesus, about kingdom humanity. Contribute your time and resources to the mission of kingdom humanity. Are those pretty much immediate and applicable? Uh-huh. Leave for the Lord. Immediately after you leave this meeting, you're going to be stepping into a space of life. That space is characterized by a whole bunch of things. God wants you to be thinking a lot more about how, what is the nature of that space. That is your Garden of Eden. Are you living in there according to the principles of the word or are you living in there according to the principles of self? If we worship God on Sunday and go and, go and promote spaces of life that are hostile to the kingdom, we are dishonoring the Lord. Amen? So as you leave this meeting, you're going back into a space. Evaluate that space and see what you can do. Use the reflection questions to help you to see what you can do to engage in those spaces. Witness about Christ in word and in action through devotion, personal humanity, and citizenship. Participate in the cycle of engagement as we activate those cycles. Engage in outreach processes. Talk to somebody about God, about the purpose of God, about kingdom humanity. Contribute your time and resources to the mission of kingdom humanity. Our next step is these are our actions, individual actions. And our next critical steps will be to do these kinds of activation meetings in churches and regions as we unramp people onto what God is doing. What is kingdom humanity? This is a conviction we carry in our heart that God is adorning the church with the humanity of Jesus Christ. And the way we execute that is through three pillars of devotion, of personal humanity, and of citizenship. Because God created us as spiritual beings in human form and as inhabitants of spaces of life. And if we don't follow that model, then we are doing uh, injustice to the purpose of God and to, 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 to the scriptures. Christ wants to come into our hearts. You are, devote, you are a devoted priest. He wants to be the image of our humanity. We live by faith in the body, by faith. But he also wants to instruct us on how to exist as inhabitants of spaces of life. If we can produce that church in the earth, you have a most powerful weapon in the hands of God. We don't know what he's going to be doing 20 years from now, 10 years from now. You know, we all want Jesus to come back, but he can't come back until we finish these things. We don't know what he's going to be doing 10 years from now, but what we do know is that he's revealing kingdom humanity to us now, and we need to engage in that. Amen. 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 I am a priest. I am a human being. I am the inhabitant of spaces of life. Let's say that together. I'm a priest. I am a human being. 
um, and inhabit end of spaces. Amen. Let's stand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father.